from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., this is Update One, the club's official podcast. It features newsworthy stories originating from the NPC facilities, as well as broader topics related to journalism, communications, press freedom, and transparency. Welcome to the National Press Club's Update One podcast. I'm Gemma Puglisi with the club's broadcast committee. Today, a very special interview and podcast with television icon Maury Povich. This is part one of a two-part podcast about Maury Povich because, honestly, one podcast is simply not enough (laughs) (laughs) to cover your 60 years in the industry, Mr. Povich. You signed off off, uh, on your program, Maury, which aired from 1991 to 2022, 31 years, a record. His broadcast career ended with Maury, but he began his extraordinary journey with jobs in Washington, D.C., in both radio and television, in Chicago for WMAQ-TV, in San Francisco for KGO-TV, and as co-host of AM San Francisco, in Philadelphia for KYW-TV, in Los Angeles for KNXT-TV, which is now KCBS-TV, and he co-anchored with his lovely wife, Connie Chung, and, of course, New York. His mark on such programs as Panorama, A Current Affair, The Maury Povich Show, and Maury make him one of the most celebrated talk show hosts. The last three programs I just mentioned span 36 years. He is the only person in the history of syndicated television to have back-to-back successful programs. And he holds the title of being the longest-running daytime talk show host in TV history. Maury is a native Washingtonian, and when he was around four or five years old, I'm told, hopped on stage urging people to buy World War II war bonds. Yes, he was also a bad boy for the Washington Senators baseball team. And as a high school student, he was all prep co-captain and all prep basketball co-captain. He also found time to play baseball. He's a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, where he received a degree in broadcast journalism. He has covered it all, including some of the biggest stories of our time, from the from the aftermath of JFK's assassination to the riots in D.C. after Martin Luther King's assassination. He also covered the anti-Vietnam War demonstrations and, of course, Watergate. And for this incredible career, Povich recently received the National Association of Television Program Executives Brendan Tartikoff Legacy Award. And in 2019, this broadcast committee honored Povich and his wife, journalist Connie Chung, with the National Press Club's Legend Award for their work in the broadcast industry. Povich resides in New York, but also has spent some of his time in Montana, where he continues his passion for journalism by establishing the paper, The Flathead Beacon, along with Connie. The Beacon is an award-winning newspaper, and it's a tribute to Povich's dad, the late Shirley Povich, the well-known and long-serving Washington Post columnist. And this is now a perfect time for me to introduce the legendary Maury Povich. Congrats, Maury. I I feel fatigued. 
<laughs> I was just going to say, this is supposed to be a, a two-parter, but I, I may have to go to Montana for a third oh, well, part of this podcast and meet you and Connie, and uh, I'll be on a golf cart while you're on the golf course asking you questions. But uh, congratulations in all honesty for Thank such you. an incredible career. So what, what are your thoughts? It's very interesting. Everybody says, you know, what what is it like, you know, to retire after 60 plus years and right. hanging around this business? And and quite frankly, I, I haven't thought about it too much yet. You know, as, as old as I am now, I've been going to so many silly doctor's appointments, just normal doctor's appointments. Right. But right. I haven't had time to just sit here and think about it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Incredible. Right. <laughs> you know. I know people who have retired, you know, and their feet never touched the ground because they they have all these extracurricular activities. And I don't know what what it's going to be for me. I I know I'm going to spend a lot more time uh, dealing with my newspaper, our newspaper in Montana. Fabulous. Yes. As as anybody knows who's a member of the National Press Club, uh, print journalism is on the decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to find ways to c- continue to uh, make the uh, make the enterprise vibrant, and so uh, we have to be very creative. The same way the Washington Post has been creative, and the New York Times, and- right? Their papers won many awards, and it really has kind of <laughs> united the community, and it's been an incredible um, opportunity. With anyone who who understands what's happening particularly in, in local journalism. It's so mm-hmm. important to keep that alive. And, and so Connie and I are, are, I'm going to spend a lot of time trying to find ways to make sure that this that this survives and, and continues to be vibrant. It's, it's won every single award in the state. I'm, I saw I'm the congratulations. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah, I've, I've, I've uh, what, what is the great thing about that paper Hmm. is that it doesn't matter what your political stripe is in the state. Everyone loves the paper, right. and everybody reads the paper. That's wonderful. It's real journalism. It's, 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 yeah, uh, it's real journalism. Uh, John Tester, the senator from Montana, mm-hmm. uh, and he says, uh, we, he says I, I, would, I, I will answer every phone call from the beat. Uh, the same thing with uh, the Republican mm-hmm. uh, representatives and, and senators. They interviewed by the beat time and so i'm so proud of what we've done editorially with the beacon and now we just have to make sure that that on the revenue side we can be buyer right right well thank you for sharing that because i, I was going to talk about the beacon and i'm i'm glad i was going to kind of end with the beacon but i'm so glad you have started <laughs> right. with it but uh, but now that you share that i now want to go back to your time in dc when this all started you know sure. when you grew up outside of dc you know i'm a native washingtonian too and i remember my dad coming home from work he was a barber and i remember greeting him at the door and he had two papers under his arm the washington evening star and then of course the washington post and i would often see your dad's bylines on the sports pages, you know, the legendary um, Shirley uh, Povich. And uh, then uh, my mom would turn on the TV set and at noon would watch Panorama. And uh, I want to talk about those early years for you because, boy, that that show was groundbreaking, too. Tell me about that a little bit. I spent uh, the first part of my my career uh, coming 
out of college at WWDC Radio, and I just I was hired, believe it or not, as a 23-year-old. I was hired as a publicity writer because uh, there were no positions on the on the news desk or anything, and I just hung around the newsroom. And finally, they said, "Well, you're just a pain in the butt, standing here. You're in our way. We'll we'll hire you as a reporter and send you out." And that's how I started. And, and as you mentioned, I. Um, you know, we had the Martin Luther King march. Sure. I had the worst assignment that anybody ever could have had for that march. I was sent to the other part of the ellipse at near the end of, of the reflecting pool mm-hmm. because I was covering the George Lincoln Rockwell anti-Martin Luther King march from the American Nazi Party. Ugh. All 10 of pe- ten of them, mm. along with about fifty policemen, oh and goodness. so that was that. I mean, I heard I heard the address, I heard all the activity, right? But I barely saw it because I was at the other end of the reflecting pool. <laughs> oh my gosh! Just, incredible, yeah, incredible so, story. Uh, yeah. And right after that, of course, I, I was at Andrews Air Force Base when Mrs. Kennedy arrived in her blood-stained mm. pink suit and mm. um, that was I mean all these years later I'm mean, 37 60 years later I, I still have sharp memories of that oh, God extraordinary you know and, and it was yeah. very interesting covering back then I mean I uh, believe it or not I mean for, for like everyday mm-hmm. Washingtonians how about this in August of 1963 mm-hmm. I covered the opening of route 95 between mm. Baltimore and Philadelphia oh, with John it. F. Kennedy standing at the border of the Maryland and Delaware line wow. to cover the opening of Route 95. Oh, these are great <laughs> stories, Maury. You're part of history, huh? You you, you have some great stories. Uh, and so, you yeah. know, I thank you for sharing those. And then, you know, your your these great report, you know, stories that you reported and then Th- you know, things you moved quickly, right? And right. then things happen, and then and what? Then, and then, keep going. So, was it current affair after I, that, or panorama? What happened after all of that? Panorama, panorama came about uh, four years after I started in radio. Okay. Uh, WTTG Channel Five. Uh, they were uh, they were trying to find. Uh, they were starting a ten o'clock news. This is the first. I remember 10 that. News on I the remember East Coast that. That was a big deal in nineteen sixty-seven. And wow. Uh, what happened at the end of 1966, and and believe it or not, I was hired <clears throat> as the sportscaster. Right. Believe it or not, for the 10 o'clock news, and then because I had done some sports on radio as well. Right. So and then what happened was in January of 67, the general manager then, a man who became my patron throughout my career, his name was Bob Bennett. Unfortunately, died a couple of years ago. He was the general manager who started. He said, I want in Washington, D.C. to start a program at noon. In the beginning, mm-hmm. it lasted for three hours. Mm-hmm. You have to remember back then, there's no CNN. That's right. Nobody was doing news. That's Nobody right. was doing news in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And so he started this show. It was kind of like a Today Show. It had uh, a lot of newsworthy topics, newsworthy people. And guests. But it you also had great guests, too. It also, yeah. And then, oh, and we had every single... Uh, uh, author who came to town 
uh, who was, uh, you know, promoting their books. We had every person who went to the National Theater and various theatrical sure, productions. Sure. We had musicians. We had, we had everybody. And so they had three hosts for this show. And they didn't, all of a sudden, they looked around and they said, well, we've hired this two hosts, one from Los Angeles, one from Boston. Well, mm -hmm. we, we have to have somebody local. They went to the newsroom. Believe it or not, I was the only person in the newsroom who grew up locally. Oh, that's great. And so that's how I got the job. That's incredible. the third host on Panorama. Oh, my gosh. Great. And I did that show. After about three or four years, it became a one host show, and I was the host of that mm -hmm. show from, like, 1972 until 1977 when I left the Yeah, I watched it. To, uh, I grew up and I watched you. you. Watched I watched you. My well, mom you watched you. Isn't that incredible? You probably get what? that from people all the time, Maury, don't you? Well, oh, Maury, I remember I, well, you from Panorama. Uh, yeah. Believe it or not, what I rest my hat on is everyone you've seen throughout the years on CNN and mm -hmm. Fox and and all these contributors, and especially the print people, they all got their start on my show. I would bring them on. I oh, mean, that's I, great. I, did, I, I started Pat Buchanan. I started uh, John McLaughlin. I started Evans and Novak. I, wow. I, start, I, I started, even today, I started Juan Williams. I, I mean, I did. Sure, all, sure. I, believe it or not, the first time that Wolf Blitzer ever was on television was oh, on Panorama. I love when it. I used to bring him on. Wow. Because he was the Washington correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. Wow. I mean, I, I mean, all these guys. And, and so I have fond memories. You should get a finder's like fee. You should everybody. get a finder's fee. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, maybe for some. That's incredible. That's fee. Those are great yeah. stories and an incredible, uh, really a groundbreaking show. And then, you know, of course, thanks for sharing all that, Maury. And then, of course, you, you do A Current Affair, then The Maury Povich Show, and then, of course, Maury. So right. I'm looking, because um, I remember this in the 80s, there, when you started, right, the Maury Povich show, there, the right. um, talk show arena was huge. There was Sassy, uh, Sally Jesse Raphael, Geraldo, Jerry Springer, Phil Donahue, yeah. Jenny Jones. Yeah. I mean, how did – major competition. A um, couple of questions. Were you friends with some of these people? And what was – you know, the competition was pretty fierce. What, what was that like for you? Well, I, I think uh, – I don't – think the word friendship would apply, but acquaintance would yeah, apply. I yeah. think. I'll tell you a funny story. It was really the golden age of talk. Yeah, because, it was. Uh, yeah. I, if you, you name some of them, and there were even others, Joan Rivers had a show, That's right. Jones had a show, Geraldo, uh, Donahue, Oprah. I mean, there were about 10 of us. Mm. And I don't think it, especially in the, in the early 90s, that was the golden age of daytime right and, right and uh i'll tell you a funny story about that so on phil donahue's 25th anniversary mm -hmm. he had a lot of nbc stations so at the nbc network did a prime time special hmm. uh, saluting phil on his 25th anniversary wow and mm -hmm. he invited all of his colleagues in talk all of us how fabulous i mean yeah. all 10 or 11 of us for a skit on this primetime special. <laughs> so, we, so we all go, we all go into the green room. I mean, all of us, from Oprah to Geraldo to, to, to Joan Rivers and Jenny, everybody, uh, Montel, all of us. And so it. we're all in the green room. Right. And not one of us is talking to any of us. <laughs> we are absolutely silent. 
All these talk show hosts are going to their own egos. Oh, my gosh. I love it. They don't want to share a sentence with anybody else. I love it. I'll never forget that. That's incredible. (laughs) What do you, why do you, you know, I wanted to talk about the Maury Show because it's been on for, it's been on for many, many years. And the good news is, even though you are saying goodbye to it, we still will be able to see it, right? It's still going to be airing, correct? I have. There are 30, there are 3,500 beautiful episodes. That's incredible. Of the Mari show that that are on right now. I That's mean, fabulous. I mean, they're on in every city in the country. Absolutely. So I want so to. It'll t- be a while. That's great. That's great. So we'll still be able to you see might, you. You might not see me personally, but you'll see But we'll my be image. seeing you. So, um, of course, I have to talk about the show because there's a lot of controversy sometimes. There's always sure. the famous line, you are the father, you are not the father. You know, we see the Saturday right. Night Live skits, the jokes. And there was a great article, um, obviously, you know, because you did the, the interview with L.A. Times reporter Greg Braxton. He interviewed you back in June when you were getting the uh, Brennan Tartikoff right. Award. And he has a really good quote. He says, um, he talks about the show. He talks about, you know, the famous lines, you are the father, you're not. And he says, and in each instance, Povich, with a mix of wisdom, authority, and warmth, was the calm at the center of the storm, taking on the role to TV's symbolic father figure, one he's held for more than three decades. Tell me about that. You you, you have mentioned it and said that it, it was really important for you to see kind of uh, parents somewhat reconciling for the good of the child. So, you know, despite all of this, the criticism, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I'll I'll tell you, Jimmy, it's it's a a remarkable uh, time for me because, look, I, I had absolutely no experience that any of my guests, when it came to the paternity, were going through. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I didn't live their lives. I lived a completely different life. Uh, I didn't grow up that way. I had no no linkage at all with what they were going through. Right. But I just what, what I what I wanted to do, and I, and I I think I was successful. At least my guests always thought so. I wanted to just uh, be a very good storyteller. Allow them to tell their story. I don't necessarily sympathize with them, but mm-hmm. at least I was in a place where they could unburden themselves. Right, right. And even though I had no relationship at all to what they were going through, they they somehow, and I, I don't know whether maybe it's just human instinct on my part or whatever, they seemed to allow me to be part of their family. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was an older brother, maybe I right. was an uncle, maybe a I, I don't think I was the father figure, but I was I, I just I, I got the feeling that they felt comfortable enough for me to allow me to be in their home right. and, and in their place where they could tell me and tell the country about what they were going through. And that, in a way, has been the success of the show for all those years, right? And it's all about yeah. the viewers, too, and connecting with them. You, you, I found a quote um, that you had said, and it, it said something along the lines of, television viewers, they've been around a long time. They've been watching this thing now for 50 years. I mean, they know exactly what's happening when it comes to television programming. You can't put anything over on them anymore. And, and the, it's, it really is about the audiences, right? I mean, they really do connect with some. One, no, and and that's no why question. I want yeah, and that's why I mean we talked about you know all the shows that have come and gone, and you're still standing. And I, what has been that secret of, of your success? Well, the, I mean, I, 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 
I mean, I'm going to talk to you about a person who many of your listeners don't like, uh, feel uh, alienated against. But uh, I will tell you, back in the day, well before everybody knew about this man, Mm -hmm. he came into my life, and his name was Roger Ailes. Mm -hmm. When I first started to do talk shows with Paramount, I was coming out of A Current Affair. Now, A Current Affair was a very successful show. It really changed television news forever mm-hmm. and but but if they they you know they do all these focus groups and research right, and everything right. and they found out that my q ratings and there's this recognizability and pluses and minuses advantages this of it i have had a very high q rating in terms of everybody knew who i was right but because of the uh, because of a current affair being an, an edgy show uh that i had a kind of a negative rating along with a positive rating mm-hmm. and so the paramount people when they when we started to do the first talk show they said well we got we got to change that that view that they have of you so they hired this research consultant named roger ale mm. roger was out of the television business this is long before fox news and he said to me he said you know you have to change how people feel about you and i said well how do i do that he says this is like a campaign. This is an election. You have to knock on doors. They have to open the door, and they have to welcome you into their house, mm-hmm. and they have to want you to have have a meal with them. They want you to be able to sit on the sofa with them and watch TV. Right, and right. so you have to show your vulnerability. So I started the promotional campaign where I talked about I was a divorced father of two, Right. Uh, I had failed in my first marriage. I uh, had been fired from several positions I had when I was going around the country uh, trying to make it as a news anchor. Uh, right. I, I I had all these vulnerable aspects of me, and and I think and by the way, and it was also during the time when Oprah was showing all of her vulnerabilities, you right, know, right. Mm-hmm. about uh, her background and what she had to go through and all the right. terrible times that she had growing up. And so it, it kind of worked. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it worked in terms of people were able to see me differently than they had when I was anchoring for five years on a current affair. And I give, I mean, you know, everything, everybody talks about Roger and I, I never knew Roger later on in life. But for those early years, he was uh, he was a, he was very beneficial to me. Thank you for sharing that. I'm Gemma Puglisi. My thanks to Mike Hempen and Mark Hambrick, Adam Cano, and all my colleagues on the broadcast committee here at the National Press Club. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Update One, the official podcast of the National Press Club, the world's leading professional organization for journalists and a vigorous advocate of press freedom worldwide. If you have any questions or comments about Update One, send an email to updateonepodcast at gmail.com.